Welcome to Nouveau Shamanic Cinema with Rosa Lewis and Joost Vervoort. In this episode, we watched the movie It, which is based on a Stephen King novel. It's a supernatural horror film about a group of kids who have to fight a cosmic being. And we use this to discuss the themes of fear, loneliness and connection. Enjoy. Hello everyone, welcome back to Nouveau Shamanic Cinema. This is Joost Vervoort. This is Razor Lewis. And we are here with you tonight to discuss the 2017 adaptation of Stephen King's novel, It. The film covers the first half of the story, at least as the film goes, because it, in the book, uh, the, the sort of two parts that are the parts of the film are um, interspersed with each other. But we are following the Losers Club as children in this movie. And yeah, it's the third time apparently that this story has been put to film. There is a um, 1990 TV miniseries with a uh, legendary and generation scarring performance by Tim Curry of the Clown Pennywise. And then there is a apparently an Indian version called Whoa. That's, I don't know, 59 episodes long and entirely on YouTube. So that's interesting. Anyway, uh, this is a book written by Stephen King. And it's arguably his most famous book or one of his most famous books. I guess, along with stuff like The Shining and Carrie and some other works. But yeah, I chose this film for today because uh, the book that this film was based on has uh, traumatized me for life. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll explain that a little bit. I read the book when I was eight. I went to friends of my parents and found a book called Het, the Dutch translation of It. And the title alone just really scared and intrigued me. And it just had a picture of a claw coming out of like a sewer great and uh, i was like i gotta read this this is gonna be very good for my mental health (laughs) so i uh, I secretly curled up in a corner somewhere and i um, read like half of the book and it was never the same because as you may know if you've seen the film or read the book this is about a cosmic being that turns your fear against you so it can eat your fear and then feast on your flesh it's very nice so rosa how did you uh, find this movie Yeah, so I'd never really heard of it before until, I guess, like, through some of the stuff we've been doing together, like journeying and things like that, we've talked a lot about fear. Fear's a big theme. And so this, it came up because, yeah, it was such a pivotal thing for you. So we talked about it a bit. And also, in a general, wider sense, like, the idea of what fear is and how it affects people and, and the kind of that being the theme of the movie, we'd, like, explored some of that. So I hadn't seen the movie or read the book as is the norm with the new Beshmanic cinema (laughs) showing my lack of um, cinema knowledge but yeah so it was all new for me really and yeah it was great it was a really great exploration really amazing combination of just like empathy building and fear and yeah like themes of kind of loneliness and so it's sort of like a, a group of kids that you follow and I really liked just really liked all the characters and how it was built and the themes of it so yeah very good choice and I'm glad to have watched it as well because we've talked about it and it's it was such a pivotal thing for you it's it's nice to experience it yeah and uh, you know to sort of provide a bit of context on the sort of like pivotal film of this you know this film has essentially uh, well, I mean, not this one, I would say, but the 1991, which is not very scary, actually, if you watch it now. But for children, 
uh, at the time it was terrifying. That uh, film has basically messed up an entire generation. Sort of the people in their late 30s now are all uh, sort of ruined by that uh, film. And less so by the book, I would say. I think people probably read that book a lot older than, than I was. You know, this kind of a book you read as a teenager or something. But yeah, it's had a massive influence. And, and I don't know exactly why, but for some reason, around the time the 2017 film came out, came out a while before it, uh, there started to be all kinds of weird clown appearances across the US, at least. Weird incidents with clowns, people dressed up as clowns and doing crazy shit. Which, um, of course, helped the promotional sort of like campaign for the film, I suppose. Yeah, no, it, it's actually funny because given that I was so scarred by the book as a child, when I went to see this in the cinema the night before, I had a dream about what it would be like, this movie, and it was a thousand times scarier than the film. It's, it's pretty heartwarming, right, Rosa? It's like uh, lots of nice themes, lots of sort of emotional warmth to it. For a, ostensibly a horror movie, there's a lot of just sort of nice character work and, and connectivity and, and sort of romantic, you know, sort of childhood stuff. Yeah, it's nice. And that's an interesting thing, actually. I don't know if you want to talk about this, but it's the Pennywise character, who is the clown main character, is, is someone that's appeared in your dreams quite a lot. Is that right? Yeah, I, I do need to tell you, you listeners, a little bit more about this. So basically what happened is that I, I read the book, became terrified of this being and my own mind's ability to basically scare itself shitless. And I think I barely slept for a year. And yeah, I think that uh, Pennywise, the, the clown, this sort of like primordial, exaggerated being of cruelty and horrible, crazy malice uh, ne has never left my dreams uh, until now, actually. It, well, the Pennywise in my dreams is much worse than the one in the book, even. It's it's hard to describe why exactly, but it's it's just really terrifying. It's more demonic. It's not as cute. It doesn't make any jokes. That's too bad, right? The, this one has some good humor sometimes where it's like, <laughs> wasn't it real enough for you? You know, and none of that stuff happens in my dreams. So it kind of sucks. Yeah, it's just this sort of like demonic avatar of cruelty in my dreams that sort of turns up uh, again and again. And well, I had a really lucid dream uh, last week and I was as lucid as I am now. And it has a lot to do with the imaginal practice that Rosa and I have been doing and with all kinds of processes around loneliness and fear. And I was so lucid that I essentially was very quite comfortable with sort of the, the darkness that always suffuses my dreams. And I went looking for Pennywise uh, for it. I had a conversation with it and I said, look, I know that you like to eat the fear of children and eat their flesh, but life must be really torment for you. It must be horrible for you to exist. And it said, yeah, yeah, that's true. And then I said, well, maybe maybe it's good if I kill you. And then it said, yeah, okay. And I, so I stabbed it gently and then I did a little prayer to the cosmic turtle Maturan. As you see in the movie, there are some references to a cosmic turtle. And that was it. And it's interesting because for those of you who don't know, the creature, it, is a being from something called the macrocosmos, which is like a sort of meta-universe where cosmic beings live, that landed on Earth maybe, I don't know, 60-something 60, 60 million years ago, I guess burrowed into the ground where Dairy was later founded. It's sort of like a Lovecraftian being, and it infects the whole town. And as you've seen that, Rosa, right? Like all the, it, it does something to the spirit of the place, right? People ignore the fact that so many people disappear for centuries, and, uh, and probably, you know, for centuries at least, People have been disappearing in this sort of cicada-like pattern of the being waking up and feeding and then disappearing again and going to going to sleep. If you read the book, it exists in multiple realities at once and, and it can't really be killed in this world where it only has a sort of like 
semi-presence. Its real body is in another universe altogether. That's the immensely fascinating backstory. The book even has a chapter from the perspective of the being, which uh, is likely female, by the way, not male. So that's interesting. What do you, how, how does that sound, Rosa? If you... Yeah, that's amazing. That's really interesting to hear because none of that is sort of told in the film. Like you say, there's like hints towards it and but you don't get the backstory. So it's really nice to hear that. And yeah, two, two things come to mind. One is that it's like the whole movie is very dreamlike, isn't it? It's very sort of nightmare-ish, dreamlike, where it has that strange thing that dreams has where it kind of has things that couldn't be real in this reality but it still sort of follows its own dreamlike logic in a way that dreams can where you you get the gist and the feel of it quite strongly and within its own realm it makes sense but it's only when you're like outside of it that it doesn't make sense and also the fact that it's kids i think it is it gives it a really strong dreamlike feel like that sort of dream thing where you're back at school or something it kind of really creates that vibe yeah, and I believe that Stephen King wrote the book when his children were young, and he wrote it as a sort of homage to the resilience, the mental resilience of kids, because part of the story, and it's again something you don't really see in the movie, uh, I'll stop referencing lore outside of the movie in a moment, but <laughs> it's partly about how adults, and I guess you do see it in the movie, adults don't have the mental flexibility to engage with the being, and kids do. So they, they can sort of like respond, they see it, they can talk about it, right? And uh, and there's something about sort of the mental resilience, I would, you would could almost say imaginal resilience that Stephen King wants to celebrate with this film. Yeah, that's the second thing I was going to say, actually. Is that I think it does come through in the movie. And it's set in the 80s, so pre-internet times. And that allows it to be this sort of almost like microcosm, a small town, where lots of people go missing, lots of people die, and, and a new kid moves into the town, and he notices this, but everyone else in the town doesn't notice it. They're just like, that's just what happens here. There's like missing posters of kids everywhere. Another kid goes missing, and they just paste it over the top of the old poster of the last kid that went missing. It's sort of just how things are. And yeah, there's this sort of, like you say, like adult kind of going along with the norm, just not willing to look at it, not willing to question or shake up reality and then this sort of gang of kids who do see it and I guess are willing to face it in a way and this is a really interesting and important theme in terms of like my experiences of almost like just being in a different reality to other people and there being a sort of level of like normality and fear and kind of just stick to the script that, that keeps people in this very like status quo type reality and actually there's like a dropping in that feels very kid-like almost like arises with us that's kind of like childlike wonder childlike openness and can include a lot of horror stuff but that's almost like the doorway into it so that was really i really like that the way that worked yeah there's such richness here right because like there's the the loneliness the separation until they connect to each other and believe each other's stories that i think is resonant to both of us there's also something really valuable about childlike fear and the imagination and imaginal power that comes from that somehow i mean and maybe let's talk about the loneliness first and because this is something that we we have been working on uh, rosa right and i find that so 
just to set the scene, when I was uh, going back to from Limburg in the south of the Netherlands with my parents from my, their friend's place where I'd read the book, I was sitting in the back of the car with my sisters and my parents and it was night, you know, in the dark, dri driving on the highway. And I felt so utterly alone. I felt like I was on a different planet because of the f in immense fear that I was feeling because of this book. And there was a Freddie Mercury song on the radio called Living on My Own. And, and it is, the lyric is living on my own. I get so lonely and it, I, I just made that connection and it just was this perfect <laughs> encapsulation of what it felt like. And I think that loneliness and fear are very connected. And one thing that, that we talked about this week is that maybe what's not bad about what's, you know, what's not the worst about the fear is the fear and the adrenaline itself, but it's the loneliness and the separation that fear creates. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's such a nice, well, such a like strong image of loneliness, that feeling of being in, in the car. Yeah, and feeling separate from the people around you. Another of the things I really liked about the movie as well is, is that all of the kids, there's the kind of real horror of being a kid that's mixed in as well. There's like the really extreme bullying from the older kids, which is just like, there's so much terror in that, isn't there, when... I mean, it's pretty extreme in this film. They, they beat each other up and, and all sorts and, like, gets very physically violent. But even just the sort of, like, emotional terror of bullies from older kids or stronger kids. So there's that aspect. But then there's also, like, the the thing that was really resonant for me was this kind of... Yeah, like, the, the way that the adults were just so brutal and so harsh to the kids each of the kids that ended up in this little sort of crew together that ended up fighting the evil being all had like a struggle with a parental figure where the parental figure was just like brutal in different ways really like life denying or abusive or just like shutting things down and yeah it just really struck out to me like how brutal it is being a kid and how hard it is when you're just trying to like figure stuff out and find your way and like be a good kid or whatever and it's almost like life is sort of pitted against you in a way and yeah that kind of like trauma and separation that that created in each of the kids like you say before they kind of came together and formed their own little crew was just so so powerful yeah and the um the sort of real life trauma and the trauma from the sort of fantasy being, let's say, and the supernatural drama uh, intermingled and al also affected each other. But the, but also the, the resilience and the sort of strength that they gained from working together against this supernatural being also uh, helped them face sort of real life stuff, right? So for instance, with Beverly and her dad, right? That there was that, that sort of like, I mean, Beverly was generally the most brave person of the whole, <laughs> the whole yeah. crew anyway. And really showed the boys that they should be brave as well, right? But, you know, she stood up to her dad and after standing up to the uh, being and uh, and again after that, right? Standing up to the being again after having stood up to her dad and, and killed him, uh, essentially. Yeah, there's an interesting dynamic there. Lots of space for just creating loneliness from sort of real life situations, which then let, left the kids sort of like vulnerable to predation by this, essentially like a predator, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe I'll tell a little bit of the story. So there's a group of nerdy boys who are maybe 12 or 13, do we think? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. 
and it's their summer holiday, it's the end of school, it's summer holidays, and they sort of each separately kind of have their own traumas with bullies and the adults, and then each separately start seeing these horror scenes. And one of the boys, the like opening scene of the movie is that his cute little brother gets killed by Pennywise, this, this clown, and all that the boys know is that he went missing. So that's the kind of link, I suppose, to the terror, is that the older brother wants to go and find his, his younger brother and save him. So they're sort of like pulled into the story through that plotline, I suppose. And then as it goes on, the visions they have of this cosmic terror clown get more and more real, and they start happening when they're all together and they see it together and there's some like scenes where the reality is kind of yeah so something happens and the, and the kids can all see it but some grown-ups can't see it and yeah it's like a sort of it builds almost like this whole creepy alternate reality that they exist in but everyone else around them denies so they sort of have to overcome the the beast I suppose they have to pull together in order to, to defeat it and then they go through various sort of trials and tribulations and difficulties with that but that's the kind of overarching plot i would say yeah very nicely summarized huh? playing with that sort of separate frightening lonely making reality and how it comes together and how they can face it together like one of my favorite scenes in this movie which makes it very uh, sweet and sort of warm-hearted is when they clean the blood bathroom mm. so yeah, so so Beverly has cut off her hair, angry and and sort of you know just really upset with her dad, who's clearly physically and probably sexually abusive to her, and she cuts off her hair in anger, and then later the hair comes out of the sink and starts to sort of like twist around her and drags her to the sink, and then the whole sink explodes with blood. And the whole bathroom is covered in blood and her dad doesn't see it. And that, that's really terrifying, right? It's such a sort of like interweaving of horrible trauma stuff because her dad's a horrible abuser, but she's nevertheless reliant on him for safety as a parent, at, at least in the face of something supernatural like this. But she can't. And, and then he doesn't even see it, right? So it's like this horrible loneliness in many different ways. And then she calls the Losers Club and they all come and they clean up the the blood, which is, I thought it was really beautiful because it's like, it's so real to them together that they can mm. actually clean it up, right? Yeah, that's so nice. Yeah, I love that scene as well. And yeah, a lot of like rich symbolism in, in it as well. I think there's like themes because she's quite a strong character in it. That Yeah, there are a bunch of nerdy boys and she's kind of a slightly cooler girl, isn't she? Maybe not a bit rejected by the other girls, but has an element of coolness to her. And she kind of ends up joining their nerdy club and <laughs> it sort of blows their mind. It plays with their minds a little bit. And yeah, st strong themes around that whole plot line of like, womanhood as well because she just starts her period before that happens and yeah like hair the reason she cuts her hair off is because her dad is sort of like stroking her hair in a very creepy way and hair is symbolic of sort of power and particularly kind of long feminine hair is that sort of like feminine power and so she's sort of cutting it off and almost like trying to get rid of that in a way and putting it down the sink and then this it like comes back right at her with all the blood and the the like hair pulling her down the sink and yeah there's nice little like love stories throughout that are really like sweet and really nice and it's almost like a sort of healing a little like healing story of 
kids that care about each other and kind of um, bringing out a kind of nice side of that. So we were talking, we were talking, weren't we, about how imaginal practice, one of the things it can do is almost like bring up a overwhelmingly like negative emotion or overwhelmingly negative situation that you've experienced or something like that and it can kind of like raise that up in you and then sort of flood it and replace it with a positive one and it's almost like that story played out throughout where it was like she had this abusive dad and was really just there was a lot of rumors about her as as well about her having slept with a bunch of people which weren't true or whatever and yeah these like love really nice nerdy guys who sort of had a crush on her and she had a couple of like little moments with it was almost like healing that I suppose healing that sort of negative storyline and I think that that was also yeah played out in that scene where they came and all pulled together and like cleaned up the blood and helped each other out so that was nice yeah super nice the sense that it was uh, real real enough to actually start just cleaning it like right it's such a Mm. mundane mundane sort of caring response to something so utterly bizarrely demonic yes I really thought of our shared imaginal practice that we do with the Dharma Garage group and that you you were sort of doing a lot lots of work on with people Rosa like that it really felt like it was a a really good uh, metaphorical demonstration of what that might be like super nice yeah I really had that vibe actually yeah and that's another part that we've talked that's been really helpful for me so talking about this movie over the last several months it's like a the idea of a katet so I said a katet yeah, it's got got that. Yeah, got exactly. that. Yeah, it's like a group of people who. Uh, well, what, how would you describe it? What What's the definition you would say? So one thing to t- say about this is that uh, Stephen King wrote a bunch of sort of weird fantasy novels called The Dark Tower, which is about a sort of Clint Eastwood like cowboy character mixed with a sort of I don't know Arthurian knight, essentially, in a world that is seems to be infinitely into the future or something but it's a se- it's like a multiverse situation so it's a separate world from ours but you can travel between or gateways between and it's like this weird mix of sort of western and samurai and science fiction and fantasy it's very strange that is a book series of eight books and that series is sort of the world building backbone for all of Stephen King's work so all this these books like it and the shining all these kinds of books are somehow somehow connected to a series which is in, essentially in a different genre in, in fancy and so a katet is very important in that world the main character and the other characters in in the dark tower story call that a katet and what a katet is is essentially like a, a group of individuals bonded by fate and when they're bonded by fate they're really unstoppable like their friendship and their bond is unbreakable and they can take on anything and it's very clear from the it story that the kids are got that as well Mm. if they're together they're undefeatable basically and they are fearless Um, they have to overcome their fear but they are able to be more fearless Uh, yeah and it's it's a really beautiful idea right the idea that sort of shared bonds can give you power together in a way that being separate and alone can't yeah, just the concept of a quartet was so helpful for me. And just like, ah, uh, okay, yeah, nice. We talked about how it's like quartet forming levels of loneliness. And it's mm. like this idea that being so lonely in life, that almost like the only way out of it is in this cosmic kind of pulling together yeah. into some sort of higher not higher but it's it's like a greater meaning a greater force than just like solving your own problems in life 
it's like too lonely to just carry on as normal. You're sort of pulled towards looking for something more because the loneliness is almost too unbearable to just exist in a, in a normal life, which was, yeah, deeply resonant for me and really, really nice sort of thing to understand, I suppose. Yeah, beautiful, you know, and uh, it's interesting about loneliness because like you say, the loneliness just being too hard to sort of be born alone. I guess that's part of what's beautiful about loneliness, even if it's painful and difficult as fuck. It's also so interesting to me that loneliness is such a you experience, like it's just you, right? That's part of the loneliness is that it feels very individual, but it's really super universal, right? Loneliness mm. is something everyone can relate to. And this, this sort of like weird paradox of feeling lonely in a very particularly separate way because that's almost its characteristic but the irony of the loneliness being a universal experience that can potentially connect people because loneliness is so universal it's fascinating yeah and because it draws people to connect i suppose yes and i thought the performance by bill skarsgård who plays pennywise is great by the way i think you probably agree rosa but Mm -hmm. especially in the end when he's when he takes bill that just gave me chills because he's like i'll take him i'll take him and then you can go and grow old and go away from here you know and it's just like this sort of like he's just basically saying disconnect from each other give up and i'll just take this one person and, it, and then they say no, of course, right? And there's this really hilarious uh, Richie moment where he's really angry at Bill for getting him in trouble with this. And he's like, and now I'm going to have to kill this fucking clown. And yeah. beat him up. It's amazing, right? <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I really like Richie as a character. And interestingly, I thought his story of fear was particularly interesting as well because it started out that he was afraid of clowns themselves. And so when he was having sort of visions or experiences with, with where he was separated off and getting dragged into this kind of hellish nightmare realm, it was like clown dolls everywhere. But then it turned into being about him. So so all the other ones, it was like a thing that was attacking them. Whereas his, he saw himself missing and himself in the, in the coffin. And that was interesting because he's almost like a clown. He's a class clown, isn't he? He's a class clown character. And he's like goofing around all the time, making stupid jokes, being sort of overly brave. And I can relate to that, that aspect of, I suppose, being or coping or whatever. And I thought it was interesting that the fear underneath that is almost like a fear of himself, which, yeah, I, I really related to as well it's like yeah it's that somehow that clown is kind of covering up the fear of yourself so that was like another really richly symbolic aspect of the, the sort of nightmare realm which i liked and could relate to yeah interesting and and what i what i also found interesting to sort of complete the picture is um i realized beverly doesn't have a supernatural fear she's just afraid of her dad right mm. no she has the blood i guess she has the blood but but it's all it's it seems to be much more tied to like it's not a being or anything right the hair attacks mm-hmm. her but it but it seems to be much more tied to sort of that situation with her dad and then of course pennywise turns into her father at some point before she stabs him in the throat with the thing and that's really interesting yeah now i was going to say that pennywise it's much more effective to lure people in with love it seems because like he killed his brother georgie and uh, and then he he sort of lures him in with georgie right so the but i guess he ha- i guess he eats fear so he, they need to be scared um so that's interesting right because he's using georgie to lure bill in 
I guess to to, to you know to scare more, but the, the sort at least the the lure of love is much stronger than the lure of fear, <laughs> right? It's an interesting yeah. dynamic. If you're that predator, you gotta lure them in and then scare them to death, and then you can eat them. Yeah, that's fascinating actually, and this uh, this is a thing that I wanted to talk about because I really have very little fear of other things. So definitely my biggest fear in life is of myself and of has been of myself and of hurting other people rather than of like something external. And I've been through some, yeah, incredibly horrific, nightmarish experiences that very, that very rarely inspire fear in me. But right in the middle of it, I had this absolutely terrifying experience where... I think I was just, you know, like sat around in my living room or whatever, which is where most of it happened, is the weird thing. And just like these very normal settings. But it was a sense of a of like a clown like figure that was gonna almost like rise up in the world and just ruthlessly kill everything. It just was just didn't give a shit and it was just like whatever it took it was that kind of real cruelty real ruthlessness so very similar to the it character more kind of joker inspired from my own uh, meaning making structure structures i suppose but very much the same themes and yeah it absolutely terrified me and i really uh, it was like so physically strong in my body as well and it was really like right in the core of my heart i could feel it and Afterwards, when it passed, all the like terror had passed and the imagery had passed and everything. The sort of like thing that came to me that it was about was the phrase like fear is the heart of love. And it's this idea that um, it's like this concept that people are motivated by fear in the world and that there was nothing kind of stopping the world just like destructing into this kind of capitalistic like dog eat dog ruthless world. And yeah, my experience was just like, no, it's not that. <laughs> Fear is not the heart of love. It's like the like coating around the love or something. It's like the people are motivated by this fear, but there's something that can be like broken through somehow. And yeah, so this was interesting to, to watch this and sort of like see those themes play out as well. That gave gave me a little chill there that you had to sort of like at, in in the most dark moment, you had a clown uh, appear in a way, clown like mm. figure, a Joker like figure in your case. That's it's fascinating to me that that's the case. And the, yeah, the there's almost like a dialectic in the moment where Pennywise takes Bill and just goes, just go, I'll just take him down in the you know in the pit and eat him. And uh, you know he's almost like trying to get them to you know cave in and sort of show them that their fear is stronger than their love right mm. and, and, they, and they show him the opposite right so it's it's sort mm -hmm. of like what, what you were talking about it's very interesting i'm super interested by we are sort of like heavily involved in these images ourselves right so these these sort of like images are very much part of our own participation in sort of imaginal practice in a way willing or no but i'm fascinated by the psychology of evil uh, of sort of uh, images of supernatural evil right because for instance the much more scary pennywise in my own dreams that i laid to rest last week i think it's a very different being from in a way from psychologically speaking a very different being from 
this creature because this creature in the movie and in the story is like it's like an extra dimensional monster right it's like a it's like a predator like a predatory animal it it needs to eat you know and it gets scared itself when it doesn't feed it feeds on fear uh, you know it hibernates and and that's what it does so it's not really out to destroy the world right in this case this specific one it's just like a sort of spider right and in the story it, it has the body of a sort of like interdimensional spider at some point and lays eggs and things but the, the 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 version of it in my dreams and i'm wonder i'm curious to hear rosa about the, the one that came up for you i've tried to understand i've had many dreams where i've tried to understand the demons in my dreams and i've described to you before that they were essentially i could feel them as like almost like ais you know they're just like these elemental forces that want to destroy stuff because that's how they're designed so they're soulless. But in this case, what seemed to help with this apparition was to realize that it wasn't, in fact, just a machine. It was suffering. It was suffering, a sort of incarnation of suffering turned outward, right? It turns turns its violence, its torment outward towards other beings. And that's, what, that's why it admitted that it should die. And then I killed it and it was done. In a way, if you look at it from the perspective of the being, it's not cruelty because it's just this mode of uh, consumption. So it has humor and all these things, but they're just like, I don't know, they're just like camouflage. You know what I mean? I, I wonder about that. And uh, so it's interesting to think about, and this is from Stephen King's mind, right? He made this creature up. So I'm just wondering about these different conceptions of evil that are very interesting and how they relate to like, what I was just describing relates more to sort of primal fear of the predator, right? The amoral, it's not even evil. It's just like violence that exists in the world from predators, from beings versus sort of trauma-induced evil. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's super interesting. It's almost like when that predatory sort of instinct has evolved into humans who have self-awareness, then it, it becomes this sort of fear, shadow-eating thing. Because I think in, in nature with, with predators, there's a much more just a natural give and take of things that sort of die and eat each other and it's almost like built into the systems that the way that it, that we're you know flooded with chemicals when we're about to die and things like that there's almost like a, just a way that, that that naturally happens and then through our ability to be self-aware and to be conscious it's then created like this whole other abstract layer of fear that can exist and how exactly like you said it's like that predator instinct in us comes out in all of these strange ways and is expressed in this sort of like aggressive or passive aggressive like social dynamic ways which are expressed really beautifully through the stories of the kids from the bullies from the parents from the parents lives as well you can see how they treat the kids badly because they've been treated badly like you can see that sort of karmic trauma resonance kind of pushing through and how this it's like this big predatory shadow or like karmic force that is just like life having been so hard for everyone that that pain they can't bear that pain and so it's all like turning out into becoming a bully or abuse or whatever the different branches of it is it's a really tells the story of that karma well and how people's shadows it's subconscious isn't it it's not this like malicious thing that people are consciously necessarily doing it's like just this force of pain and difficulty from just the whole of life being so hard getting turned into this kind of thing that comes out in evil evil ways 
Mm, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking uh, if this is the case, right? So if in nature um, or let's say in a macrocosmos, the predator just sort of like kills and, you know, may, it may play with its food, right? Cats play with their food and whatever. But that's just it's just sort of like all part of a sort of like just way of being. And if the human experience makes it possible to have sort of like, del you could say, deliciously complex fears that can be um, cultivated <laughs> in really subtle and horrible ways in which in ways which you, you can't really do it with animals. It's almost like so Pennywise or it is a shapeshifter and it's almost like it has in fact been shifted into shape by human experience. So it has been turned into a humanoid figure. I mean, not just a clown, but I mean, its psychology has become more human because of its prey. It has adapted. And so it its understanding of fear is human-ish. So it has been colonized by human fear in a way. You know, that image, that image I thought that was so powerful when I watched the movie the first time, and again, when I saw it now, of the clown hanging on the pit, you know, and then its brain sort of wafting open, right? With the sort of flakes drifting off of it, that sort of like zero gravity effect. And then just saying fear and falling down. That gave me the chills because it's like, maybe it didn't even know fear before it started to sort of consume human fear and be colonized by humanity in a way. Yeah, that's interesting. And there's something about its phrase as well. I'll, I'll feast on your flesh as I feed on your fear. That is that like feasting on the flesh being that kind of like embodied painful aspect of of suffering which causes it's like in that karmic trauma way it causes people to you know be in physical pain have physical ailments the like physical violence that you see between the different characters so that's the like feasting on the flesh and then the feeding on the fear is yeah that more like abstract sort of mental realm I suppose and like you say at the end where it just sort of dissipates into its kind of final demise it's like it dissipating off into nothingness so yeah it's that more like abstract realm I suppose there's a there's a really horrible moment in the book where Pennywise turns well it turns into the creature from the black lagoon because one of the children has seen that movie and the child while it's biting off its neck the child is trying to reach for the zipper on this creature's suit because it just can't believe it's real. <laughs> it's just spine-tinglingly horrible, right? It's like being eaten, like it's chewing through its neck and it's just trying to find the zipper on the costume because it just can't believe it's a real creature. <laughs> it's disturbing shit. Yeah. Yeah, there, there, there's something to the story as well where uh, Stan, the, uh, the Jewish kid, um, you can tell it already a little bit in this movie, but he has a lot, a lot more trouble believing what is happening than the other kids. And in the uh, full story, he ends up killing himself mm. because he is the one who can't deal with the reality of this being when he gets when he grows older. So when it comes back, he just kills himself. Yeah, wow. Uh, that's how the book starts, by the way, by Stan killing himself and then writing its back with his own blood on the wall. Wow. Yeah, and he's a little bit more separate, isn't he, from the others? And I think that there's something about that connection that is, like, so powerful. I guess the part of the reason why he kills himself is that in the original story, he's the one ta being taken into the into the beast's lair, not Beverly, which I think is a very strange cho choice because they spent the whole movie giving Beverly so much agency and then they make her the damsel. But, okay, anyway. Yeah, it's so interesting because the thing you said about the zipper, I, almost all of my horror-inspired imaginal practice has, has disappeared now. Very rarely get any. 
but there's one thing that comes around a lot it's maybe the only thing I'm not sure if that's true but it feels like it and that is that I'm like unzipping myself from like the middle of my forehead down my throat and then I open it and a being that's like when the clown it's not a clown but when the clown has the jaws the really wide jaws of like several sets of teeth and things like that that that's inside that's what's inside and it's like this sort of alien creature that's in there that is somehow wants to come out or needs to come out in a way and yeah there's an interesting question it hasn't resolved yet but there's something around like the fear of it and other people's fear of it and like is it actually evil or is it just the fear that's the bad thing and yeah that's just came up when you mentioned about the zipper which is interesting very interesting yeah you when you see it open its mouth mouths whatever uh you see these lights dancing around right and beverly gets sort of entranced by them that's its true form uh, those lights that's what it really looks like mm. it's called the dead lights yeah mm. do they symbolize anything or are they just uh, well i guess they're, they're just like this extra dimensional force mm. the dead lights yeah and uh, and if you look at them you basically go insane so Beverly's doing well, but you, uh, yeah, you can't really look at them. It's just the terrifying sort of like extra dimensional force. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And yeah, there's almost something like the way that it separates people is it sort of entrances people, doesn't it? And kind of mm-hmm. pulls them off. They would be all walking around the house together, this like group of four or five kids or whatever. And one of them would sort of see something that sort of drew them in and they'd get like pulled towards it. And somehow then they'd be on their own a door would shut or something they wouldn't be able to get back to the other kids and, and then they'd sort of be in their own horror realm with it and another thing we've talked about that kind of compellingness of the darkness and the way that it draws people in and that aspect of it as well as like the horror and the, the nightmarishness of it yes this is fascinating to me i think that you know part of what is ha- what happens to me and i think you you recognize this as well is that there's a sense of the brain just being capable of such morbid thoughts that you kind of want to see what it is you know it's it's like you if you have an imaginative mind your mind can go can go so such dark places that it's sort of like hard not to <laughs> sometimes yeah i guess with the the name of the podcast the new shamanic cinema i think for me the my inner nicholas cage there was always just something so compelling about that i feel like i've exercised that now been purged from me and no longer have an inner Nicolas Cage but it was almost like the the pull towards that it just really wanted to come out and ignoring it felt like turning away from myself and turning away from it was almost like cutting off my aliveness or something that I just had a thought it's very strange that our minds you know it, it's sort of we don't want to look but we're kind of looking you remember when uh, when Stan looked at the creepy flute lady on the painting and, uh, and he sort of didn't want to look, but he looked, right? It's like looking through your fingers kind of thing. It's like that experience. I was, I, I just wondered, why don't we do that with really beautiful stuff? Why don't we like think, oh, I wonder what amazing things my mind can think of, like utterly sort of transcendently amazing. That doesn't seem to, I mean, I, 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 I'm interested in, I'm now sort of feeling into that. I'm like, oh, that, that's definitely a direction of travel, but it doesn't seem to happen quite as much. That's interesting. 
Yeah, I think there's something in where it comes full circle and it links back into like beauty and transcendence and it's like there is something there that is turned away from in the same way. It's almost like the darkness of it is is sort of, it's like the grasping and the craving and the cruelty that people are inspired to do to get what they really want. And I think this comes back to the fear is the heart of love. It's like, if you can get past that and really just like clear all of that stuff out, not in like a bypassy way, just in like a meeting it and being like, oh yeah, there's craving and like grasping and cruelty and um, just like meeting all of that. And then it's like right in the core of that is this desire. And it's almost like, yeah, desire for beautiful things and for just like anything that's compelling to us, but it's hard to look at it for a lot of people because it's so gnarled up in this it's almost like the image I have of it it's like some gold or something like gnarled up in all of this just trauma and like wanting things and not getting them and cruelty of people treating each other badly because there's not enough to go around and it's sort of like all of these layers of all of that stuff and if all of that can sort of be worked through and, and peeled back then you end up at the gold in the middle which is this sort of like really amazingly beautiful kind of connected place but it still has that compelling aliveness in it yeah amazing uh, it, it made me think of there is something lustful right uh, about pennywise like it's really disturbing but he's drooling over these kids right and he's sort of like scaring them it's sexual actually right isn't it i mean mm-hmm. it is like it's erotic uh, for <laughs> for the for Pennywise, it isn't just food, right? It is charged, I think, right? I mean, even when he when he makes a joke where it's like, wasn't it real for you? Like, there is something like, I guess in some ways, f- feeding is erotic as well. Mm-hmm. But there's something intensely desirous and needy about it. Hungry, yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and he's not just ruthlessly killing things is he's kind of taking them into his lair and like hiding them in certain places and enjoying kind of messing with people I suppose and I think that that it's like all of that is like the messy fearful cruel just like aspect of life that is that life is so hard but then in the middle of it there's this much more just like intimate connection that can be found it's almost like the kids went through the process it's like by becoming intimate with your fears and facing your fears and breaking through that then you come out into this place that is like connected and intimate Uh, maybe now is the time to tell you that there's a very strange and disturbing scene in the book again here comes the book lore but in the book the the kids sort of consummate their katet by beverly having sex with all of them oh the... what <laughs> <laughs> no way <laughs> in the in the sewer system yeah oh wow yeah that's kind of messed up and that uh, is, and yeah and th- that's this is where uh, you know stephen king's uh, substance addiction shines through a little bit that he that he had when he was writing these books yeah there's a sense of like sort of ritual a ritual sex act where they're all they all sleep with beverly as a way to sort of like initiate them into into adulthood and that makes them in a way more powerful against uh, the creature which i mean you know let's unpack that freudian whatever like yeah right yeah 
right? Because there's something about the there is something about them being predated on almost sexually by this being. And then sort of like, I mean, it's obviously like maybe it's a, an ill-considered choice to have that be in the book. But I mean, he, he must have meant something with it. And I can sort of see what maybe, right? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I noticed there's some of the plot features that carried through into the film, not as strongly as that. But there is a, like a, quite a strong sort of male gaze. You can tell it's written by a man, <laughs> basically. Yes. And but still the the yeah, the story of Beverly is strong. And that story of like almost like reclaiming her feminine power and coming into womanhood and killing off her dad and her being the one who is strong enough and brave enough to kill the fear, almost like because of that story, mm. that's really strong. And I think there's something about that, the on a symbolic level, that sort of masculine and feminine energy and the power of that like reclaimed feminine energy that, yeah, is sort of being shared with the boys in a way. And... Yeah, I think in in the film they they do they kind of all cut their hand and and hold hands together at the end. So it's it's sort of like a symbolic mm. version. It's a bit less uh, <laughs> a bit less, out, bit less outdated maybe. Yeah, yeah. No, it's <laughs> interesting. It's portrayed, but yeah, it's it's interesting because I think if I remember the book correctly, I don't think that the male gazey stuff was so strong in the book. I think that's very much a sort of giddy filmmakers idea mm. uh, and i think that the uh, the sexual act that they share in the book isn't portrayed sexually at all because that would also be kind of messed up but i don't think it's portrayed like that it's meant to be sort of very nice and intimate but it's still quite strange but uh yeah no no i i, I there's something there there's something about this sort of being weirdly like sexual threat right like a sexual predator kind of thing it's not just being eaten by something it's something that has a desire to sadistically you know i don't know abuse you basically yeah fascinating yeah and i think that going back to sort of dharma and, and how we practice i think it's like being able to overcome that is reclaiming this like feminine energy in a way and this like sense of connection that's that emotional connection that they all sort of feel with each other and that allows them to overcome it kind of represents that and yeah that's that's powerful and it's like this kind of primal life force which in a world where there's not enough this primal life force is perceived as very evil in this sort of like adam and eve kind of original sin way mm. where there's not enough to go round. like it was the feminine energy that like created the universe took us out of the realm of the Garden of Eden or whatever, um, brought us into suffering. And yeah, this obviously comes through a lot in like sexual abuse of women from, from men who, you know, just don't get enough love or or whatever. They're kind of just taking it, aren't they, from, from women and mm. abusing people. And yeah, it's almost like there's not enough security to go around, not enough love, not enough safety, not enough connection. And so it's like this kind of evil, cruel world that we live in when that's in play and it's interesting like you say that the 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 clown creature is is feminine because it's almost like that's representative of that and then the flip side of that is like when there is enough connection when the people when the the kids like are in it together when they look after each other enough when they're safe enough then it becomes this like 
sort of life force that is, yeah, that can be sort of erotic or um, just like very childlike and fun and is like people being in something together. So it's almost like these two possible sides of, it's like the same energy, but it just, depending on the conditions, will kind of turn into this sort of like feeding, cruel uh, world or this sort of like really beautiful expressive connecting like mm. eros filled world uh yeah i really like that because uh, uh that sort of makes it makes me be a bit easier on the on the male gazy stuff in the movie because it's very pure right they're like just like being super mind blown about this beautiful girl uh, but it's very light-hearted and and you know it's juxtaposing with the sort of like rabbit sadistic lust of the of the being of the of the of it mm. um, right it's like sort of a counterforce yeah yeah they have like a yeah it comes back to that sort of like more healing yeah relationship with it where yeah they just sort of have a crush on her and that's quite cute <laughs> yeah it's very cute yeah interesting I, I i must admit i'd never really thought of it as having a sexual appetite you know and, and it really the more i think about it the more it just kind of feels like it's like unfettered eros in a way right it's like mm. desire for the other and for the other to be so you know to dominate the other to basically dis disrupt the other disturb the other it's so you're so hungry for the other that you want to destroy it in and but not just destroy it right because it, it doesn't just want to negate or stamp out stuff it wants it to be like incredibly disturbed and create upheaval and chaos and and fear um in the other right it's so hungry for the other that it, yeah there's, there's something about that sort of being extreme erotic need somehow yeah it really wants to create that like fight flight freeze like high intensity state in people doesn't it yeah and toy with them yeah and feed off that i wonder i don't know if it does it come through like that like do you feel like I'm just speculating here, but do you feel like that's simply its sustenance or do you like what I said earlier about it be, having been changed by being in touch with humanity uh, in the sense that does it need it to be a being? You know what I mean? Does it need does it need to sort of is it like in a way? I mean, I don't know. It's It feels almost like it's in the middle between food and validation. <laughs> mm, <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is interesting because this is another thing we've talked about, which is like fear creates the self in a way, doesn't it? Yes. And so it's like it needs other people to be afraid of it in order for it to exist. Yes. Because it is fear itself. and that, That's right. Yeah. So it only exists like in contrast to other people. And so it's creating that separation. It's, it's kind of its purpose is to create the separation where... Yeah, it can't coexist in harmony with anything because if it did, it would disappear. I love that. It it is fear itself. Yeah. It so if it is pure fear, the reason it's hungry, yeah, yeah. The reason it's so hungry and lustful of the of the fear of others is because that's what it needs. So there's something, I guess, about eroticism and and existing, right? Where the need for the other is is to, to sort of maintain the self. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Yeah, this is so interesting as well, because it's like this idea that separation is the cause of all suffering. And it, it's sort of true, but separation is also the cause of all connection, which is joy in life, right? 
Because without separation, you'd just have one thing. There'd be no connection. You wouldn't have two things that mm. could connect with each other. And this process that, that they the kids went through as well, it's almost like an expression of, of this like universal process of really painful separation that almost like causes them each to be their own separate they have to like face their fears and be find their own power stand in their own sense of self or it's almost like a um coming of age type ritual for each of them where they Mm. go through their own journey into like growing up a bit i suppose and then after they've separated then they can come back together and that separation is there but it becomes a source of like joyful connection where as individuals they're connecting with each other and I think yeah that's like interesting isn't it that process is almost like how I see the uni- like what's happened in the universe and mm. it's almost like the purpose of or the like need for all of that suffering is because there had to be a separation process and the separation process is sort of inherently painful and creates fear in us because we don't like being separate for some reason, the idea comes up that the children are also feeding off of the being. <laughs> mm. Yeah, say more about that. Yeah, the being, the, the, the presence of the evil being makes the children grow, right? It brings mm-hmm. them together. They don't become weaker, they become much more strong. So they, be, they are tested in their resilience and their resolve and their connection. And the connection is established by the shared nightmare. So in a way, the being is sort of like a, it's food. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, think, I'm just ima- suddenly thinking of this sort of quartet of, of, of kids together preying on this being um, in a nice way, <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. And I can really relate to this. I think this is where the, the com- compulsion for me to always go into the darkness was. It's like this sense of like wanting to face it, wanting to grow, wanting to meet the shadow, really wanting to like fully integrate it, fully like individuate in a way that's like integrated and that shadow being the fuel for that and yeah I went too far where I didn't want to do it anymore (laughs) obviously but um like that's where it started and I I think that there's done in much more measured ways like with you know imaginal practice where it's supported and connected and things like that and therapeutic settings it's like meeting your shadow it can be the deepest fuel for like really stepping into your life and stepping into your power and like Mm. stepping into that kind of like erotic alive connected place in yourself so yeah i totally i think that's a nice way to look that if you look at it that way it's much more like wholesome and it's the food for becoming creating connection between people i and i i've thought about i've thought about this the the presence of this being in my life uh, a little bit like this i felt you know it's been disturbing sometimes <laughs> to have these horrible dreams but i i've really felt grateful for having been a scared kid in some ways because i feel like it is giving me a lot of appreciation for the power of the imagination and a lot of empathy for people right i, I feel like my weird you know engagement with uh, cosmic darkness and imaginal darkness throughout my entire childhood has made me weirdly empathetic with people who have suffered uh, in other ways, uh, in a way that maybe I, right, it doesn't really necessarily make sense. And I don't wanna, I don't wanna belittle or sort of like, uh, you know, I wanna be a little bit careful with, uh, comparing different types of experiences. But I, I have to say, like, there is something about 
being familiar with fear and with loneliness that comes from fear, just from having an overactive mind and coming into contact with traumatizing media, that's kind of valuable, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. That's part of the gold, I think, that comes out of meeting the shadow and, and integrating the darkness and, and engaging with it is that depth of compassion. And it just gives you a totally different experience of life and perspective on life where you can really meet people and experience the full richness of life together. You're not just like stuck up in this small layer of like perceptive kind of in that like adult realm which is in this keeping the status quo you're not stuck there anymore when you've when you know your darkness and you've been there there's just like this whole rich emotional world of different experiences which become yeah opportunities to understand people to understand life more to connect with each other more Mm. yeah I have honestly thought of uh, Pennywise as a kind of bodhisattva figure, you know? <laughs> really, really. Yeah. At, at least my version, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if the creation of Pennywise the Dancing Clown hasn't done a, hasn't been a, a force of good in the world. That, that Stephen King's creation of this being hasn't been like a net positive for people. It might have been, right? It might be interesting research. Yeah, because it's like it's also just think about th- think about the depth of creativity that goes into coming up with an extra cosmic being that has lived on Earth for tens of millions of years. And it's a shapeshifter, but it doesn't really live in this reality. And it's made out of dead lights, but it's also like a weird spider. And then it's got a clown history and it becomes all these beings. And yeah, man, it's re- wildly creative, you know. And that's amazing. And, uh, you know, Stephen King wanted to write a book with all the monsters in it. That's how he describes uh, wanting to write it. He was like, I want a book with everything in it. And then he thought, what is the what is actually the most scary monster? And he thought, yeah, it's a clown. That's just <laughs> it's just the most scary thing. And it's interesting that it came up in your mm. sort of imaginal darkness as well. Um, yeah. And Stephen King has said that uh, I think that especially the first movie uh, has haunted his dreams as well He's, he hasn't been mm. really afraid of his own book but like seeing it then externalized and portrayed by other people has sc- scared him as well which is quite interesting mm. yes that's really interesting yeah haunted by your own creation i am i'm actually left with a very positive feeling about uh, i mean I, I honestly i have to say i love this book and i love this and this movie is a is a quite quite nice i think if you would give me a few million or like a lot, a lot of money, I suppose. A lot of time, I would probably make something that would really fuck people up. Like it would be a thousand times scarier than this. But uh, and I would still love to see in in the future sometimes the depth of of horrible fear that you could take this story into. But but I, I also really like the emphasis on the positive that's in this story, in this in this specific film. And I have to say, I'm really happy that I uh, I don't know. Am I gonna say this? I'm really. I guess I'm really happy. I I got scared out of my mind as an eight-year-old uh, by reading that book. Uh, you know, it's there's something really beautiful about being able to tell stories so dark and so resonant, I think. Yeah, really powerful stuff. Yeah, I agree. Just an amazing, the depth of symbolism and the richness of the characters and the, and the concept of um, them coming together to overcome it is just really powerful story. Mm. I can see why it was... Um, so resonant for you and I'm yeah I'm glad we've come back to watch it after talking about it it's nice yeah for sure and and you know I think that in a world where so much evil isn't exciting 
and it's just like the banality of evil and it's subconscious and horrible and everyday drudgery of evil. I think that writing stories or making films or telling stories that are full of sort of radiant, imaginally radiant, powerful, strong, heartful darkness, you know, is, is a great blessing for humans. So horror writers, please keep going. Yes. All right. Nice. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for listening and see you again soon at the Nouveau Shamanic Cinema. Bye. Hello, don't you want a balloon, Georgie? <laughs> don't you want a balloon, Georgie? We're all float, we all float down here. We float, we float. And, no, and nobody will know it's me. They'll just think it's from a movie. <laughs> <laughs>